But good morning. Uh, take your Bibles this morning and turn to Ephesians chapter 4. All right, Ephesians chapter 4 is where we're going to be this morning. I would bet um, that some of you got some pictures in your house of maybe you in the 70s or in the 80s or in maybe even now the 90s of you wearing some clothes that aren't in style anymore. All right, is that true? Uh, sure, some of those surf, some of those styles kind of surface again, um, but I think all of us know what I mean by that. There's some pictures of some of y'all, maybe some of y'all in like a leisure suit, maybe. Uh, some of y'all uh, ladies with some maybe the 80s style hairdos and different things like that. We all got photos of ourselves probably somewhere of us dressed in a different time, in a different era, in a different decade uh, that we, you know, that we look much different than the way people are dressed today. In fact, take a look at, this is a picture of me in the early 90s. Take a look at this. There you go. <clears throat> oh, yeah. There you go. Now, the 90s fashion there isn't like going too wild there. I mean, the jean short thing, it was kind of like a little bit of a confusion between pants and shorts. Man capris before man capris, I guess you could say. I, I, I remember, my mom made me tuck my shirt in just for this picture at Epcot. I'm not sure why. I'm, I don't look very happy about that. I'm showing you that picture because I'm going to come back to it in just a, a little bit in the sermon. So you can take that down. We don't need to look at that during the sermon. All right? Um, but we've all got pictures of us with certain clothes on and certain styles that are, that are out of style, right? Um, that don't kind of match up with the trends of today. And this morning, I say all that to say this. This morning, in this next passage that we're looking at in Ephesians, Paul, who's the author of this letter, he's planted this church in Ephesus. He's writing this letter back to this church that he loves, full of Christians. And he's going to identify for them and for us some clothes that are out of style when it comes to the kingdom that we now belong to. That some clothes that don't fit our life anymore as Christians. Now, we're not obviously talking about literal clothes. He's using this as an illustration of old clothes and new clothes to help us understand that there were certain ways in which we once lived, lifestyles that we once wore that don't belong in our wardrobe now as Christians. All right? And there's also new virtues, new characteristics, new patterns of life and behavior that do match who we are as Christians in Christ that we're to put on. Things we need to put off, things we need to put on. All right, Things that we need to be doing, things that we need to stop doing. Not because, I want to make this very clear as we move through a list in the New Testament of do's and don'ts, we've got to remember that we don't do these things because we're trying to do them to earn the favor of God or to earn our way into the family of God. These are things we do because we already belong to the family of God. These are things we do because of who we already are in Christ, which that's an important thing. I'm going to be talking to the church this morning, but in order for you to live this passage out, you first have to have a relationship with Christ. I want to make that very clear. But again, these are things we do because of who we are in Christ. We align ourselves with the identity that is ours. We're living out practically who we already are positionally, which means in our life as Christians, our rest of our life involves us taking things off that we once wore, lifestyles that we once lived out, and putting on new ways of life in Christ that the Bible shows us we should be putting on. With that in mind, let's stand and read. All right, stand with your Bibles open. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. It says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of their ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. 
But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another, one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom we are sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted. Forgive me one another. How? As God in Christ forgave you. Would you have a seat as I pray? God, we pray that this morning that you would be our teacher. Your spirit is our teacher. And so I pray that you would teach us and Lord, I just recognize right out of the gate this morning that there's nothing here we can do in and of our own strength. We couldn't save ourselves in our own power and strength. That was a complete work that you did. And we need you in your power and in your strength and by your grace to continue to change us and to sanctify us. We need your spirit to take your word and to help our minds to understand what we can't understand on our own, to help our hearts to believe what we can't believe on our own, and to help us to apply these truths in our lives. We can't do it on our own. We need your help. So help us this morning. Thank you for being our helper. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so this text falls pretty clearly into two sections this morning that both deal with the truth that as believers we're to be experiencing a life of transformation. And so in verses 17 through 24 in this first section, what Paul shows us is this, and this is the first point this morning. He shows us one big reason why Christians walk a lifelong path of being transformed. One big reason why we live a life of changing clothes is what he's going to say and here's the big reason why i'm going to go and give it to you because in christ he says you no longer are who you used to be you are no longer who you used to be you're no longer who you once were you're no longer the unbelieving person that you are living in an unbelieving lost world a reason we walk a path of transformation and change is because we are no longer unbelieving people. And to help this sink into our minds, what Paul does is he spends some time here reminding us of the unbelieving people we once were before we met Christ. Look at, verse, uh, look at the way he says this in verse 17. He says, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles. All right? So most of the original readers of this letter in the church of Ephesus were Gentiles, just meaning they were non-Jews. Um, but he's not talking about ethnicity as much as he's talking about something ethically. All right? They grew up, in, not just grow up in, they belonged in a pagan Gentile culture that acted anti-God in the way that they thought and lived and believed and lived their life. It was a culture that promoted an orientation around self, indulging in whatever you want to indulge in is what a pagan culture says to do pursue worldly pleasure freely as you desire to do so chase worldly gain be ruled by the pride and the lust and the ego and the self-centeredness of your sinful flesh that's the culture that they were born into and that they grew up in in that pagan ancient gentile world but is that not descriptive of the same lost world that we're born into today that we belong to and that we went with the flow of 
before we met Christ. And then in verses 17 and 18, he digs in here and he dissects at a deeper level who we used to be as a people far from God. And this really is almost like an autopsy of a spiritually dead person. Who are we apart from the grace of God in the world, belonging to the world, uh, people in this world um, apart from God? We're spiritually dead people. That's what the Bible says. He explains here in our formerly you know, dead state that we were in before Christ, he explains how our spiritual deadness manifested itself in some different ways. It manifested itself in a hardness of heart towards godly things, in a callousness towards the will of God and the ways of God and God's design for the world, God's design for humanity, God's design for our life. And Paul even gets specific here and he says, your spiritual deadness before Christ manifested itself in sensuality, which is referring here to sexual sin doing whatever feels good. It's a heart uh, set on feeding the flesh, ignoring and loathing and fighting against anything that remotely resembles a biblical view of sexuality. Is that not the anthem of our culture right now? But what our culture celebrates and what our culture calls sexual freedom, we want to be very clear, the Bible calls sin. The Bible calls sensuality. And then it says that the spiritually dead person and a spiritually dead pagan gentile world their heart manifests itself in a greediness to practice every kind of impurity all right meaning the gentile world people without god are ruled by a nature that can't get enough of every kind of impurity at their disposal under the sun and what paul's doing here is he's pointing this ephesian church these christians to this world and he's pointing us to this world and he's saying hey this world that i'm describing this wicked evil pagan spiritually dead upside down sinful culture that i'm describing hey you may be surrounded by it but you don't belong to it anymore now let me time out right here because we got to be really really careful with these passages these passages this passage is not before us for the purpose this morning to get us all worked up about how wicked the world is out there That's not the purpose of this this morning. This isn't so we can run out into the world and say, hey, look at how jacked up y'all are. No, the purpose of this and the reason this is before us this morning is to show us that this is who you were. This is who I was. This is who you would be. This is who I would be if it were not for the amazing grace of God and that alone. This text is here to stir our affections for God as we think about who we once were and who we would be if it were not for Christ, if it were not for this being a part of all of our stories who are in Christ Jesus, that we learned Christ. He uses that phrase there. He says, you, everything changed for you because you collided with the gospel, because you learned Christ. He didn't say you learned about Christ. This is his way of saying somebody becomes a Christian, that kind of Greek phrase right there that Paul uses to learn a person. You can't find that phrase in any ancient Greek literature even extra-biblical literature. It, it's not there, which means that Paul actually like came up with a phrase creatively to get this idea acro- across to us that when you come to Christ, you don't come to just learn orthodoxy or doctrinal affirmation or just to embrace a statement of faith. When you come to Christ, you come to know and learn and encounter a living person, Jesus Christ. Amen. And to know Christ, to learn Christ, And to encounter Christ and to enter into a personal relationship with Christ changes everything about us. We get a new heart. When you become a Christian, you get a whole new identity. 
You literally become a new person. You join a new spiritual family called the church, the bride of Christ. You enter into a new kingdom. You're a citizen of another country now, a heavenly country. And out of all of that should flow, if that's happened, a new pattern of behavior, new ways of living, new ways of living that we're living out and old ways of living that we're tossing out. That should be the reality of our life in Christ Jesus. And in verse 22, Paul uses the metaphor of changing clothes to make that point. He's saying as new creatures in Christ Jesus, we put off the old self and we put on the new self. It's this picture of somebody changing clothes. So as a Christian, there's some outfits, there's some behavior that doesn't fit and flow with my new identity anymore as a chosen, redeemed, adopted, forgiven, free child of the king. We're new creatures. We have new identity. So we've been set free from the penalty and power of sin. And what Paul's saying is you need to start dressing like it. Your life needs to start proclaiming that fact about who you are. There's some new patterns of life that we need to put on. And there's some old ways of living that we need to take off because those old clothes and old ways of living, that's not, that doesn't match who I am anymore in Christ Jesus. It should, it should drive me and motivate me and fuel me to change clothes. You know, I've never heard of someone who has been released from prison, and you can answer this yourself too, if you've ever known somebody who's done this. I've never known somebody who was released from prison when they got released and they went and got discharged, told the guards, hey, if it's okay with you guys, I actually uh, would like to kind of keep my orange jumpsuit on, if that's okay with y'all. Because I've just kind of really grown accustomed to this, and there's some memories connected to this. So if it's cool with you, I want to roll out here in my prison gear with my like number stitched to it. All right? No, most every prisoner set free is like, I can't wait to get out of these clothes. I can't wait to lay these aside and never wear them again because this outfit identified me for my sin. It identified me for my crime. It identified me for my transgressions. That represents who I was. But now I've been set free. I've been liberated. That's not who I am anymore. So I'm ready to take these clothes off and put them aside and I look at them again and put on some new clothes that match my new status as a free man. Here's what Paul's getting at. Our old self, All those old outfits, that old way of living, that old nature that he's outlining in these verses, the old way of life, that identified our proclivity to sin. That identified our deadness to God. But that's not who we are anymore. We've learned Christ. We've been set free. And as new creatures in Christ, the rest of our life involves, by God's grace, taking off those prison clothes that don't fit anymore and setting them aside and laying behaviors in certain ways of life that don't belong in my life anymore aside and choosing to put on new clothes some new ways of living that match my identity and doing that each and every day. I think that's the reason why he's using this metaphor. Because all of us, changing clothes is something that you normally do every day. Normally. You go to, with some middle school boys to a youth camp and you realize that that's not, that's not true for everybody. But normally, everyone changes clothes every day. And that's the reason why he's using this metaphor. This is something habitual. This is who we are. It's something we choose to do every single day. Praise God one day. Jesus is either going to return or we're going to go to him through death in Christ. And we're not going to have to change our clothes anymore. That's our great hope. But between here and there, here's the rhythm of our life. Taking off the old and putting on the new. So, what he does now in the second half is he gives us five specific things. Five specific articles of clothing that we need to take off. And it's also going to give us some different things that we need to put on as believers. Five specific ways that a Christian life 
is transformed, all right? And this is the point to lean in. Put the antenna up, all right? Ask the Holy Spirit to help your heart to be sensitive to what you need to take off and what you need to put on. This isn't an exhaustive list, but these are some significant clothing changes that need to continuously be happening in the life of a believer. Number one is this, kinds of transformation. Number one, we take off lies and we put on truth. We take off lies and we put on truth. Verse 25 says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. So as Christ's followers, we ought to be known as people of truth. We ought to be known as lovers of truth, proclaimers of truth. A, be- a behavior that aligns with my identity in Christ is this. We tell the truth. The old self wasn't passionate. It wasn't, didn't have a natural bent towards telling the truth. The old, the old self cared more about the optics of things than the truth of things. The old way of life was about bending the truth. It was about minimizing my weaknesses and exaggerating my strengths and fabricating facades and falsehood in order to present an image that I think would impress people and build my ego. But Paul says that's an old self thing. That's not who I am anymore. Our new self can take off falsehood, can put on truth, can be real with people, can be honest with people, can be true with people because the new self is secure in his identity or her identity as a child of God. The new self has nothing to prove. The new self feels no need to perform or try to impress anybody and to pretend and to bend truth to try to make you think it's something that I'm not. Right? I, I'm accepted by God in Christ Jesus. I'm accepted by the most important person. I'm, I'm, I'm accepted by the person whose acceptance is the only acceptance that matters in Christ. Which means I'm free to be honest and true with other people. I can be honest with people about my weaknesses. I can wear my shortcomings on my sleeve. I can let my guard down because I'm not defined by those things. I'm defined by who I am in Christ. I'm accepted and forgiven and embraced forever and loved by God in Christ Jesus. So see see how the gospel sets us free to put on truth in that way. And it also, and I think this is what Paul is getting at here, the heart of what he's getting at, it frees us up to speak truth into people's lives, even though it may ruffle some feathers, even though it may create some awkwardness in different relationships. That's okay. That's okay. I'm a truth teller. And so I can tell people things in love that are true. I don't have to sugarcoat things to win people's approval. I can put on truth. All right, so the new self, I can speak truth to people in love i can be real with other people i can put on truth and the new self also needs to be putting off the old which is the lie which is the facade which is the falsehood all right that's the first article of clothing so in this area right here where are you putting up a facade of falsehood where are you trying to impress people where are you trying to sugarcoat things because you're trying to win people's approval the gospel frees us from all of that we need to put on truth number two Next article of clothing we need to put on and change. We need to take off sinful anger and we need to put on righteous anger. Take off sinful anger, put on righteous anger. Now, the first thing I want you to make a note of right here is that in verses 26 and 27, it doesn't say don't be angry. Instead of these verses, it's actually helping us to understand what a redeemed righteous anger in our life looks like. In other words, there's a right way to be angry and there's a wrong way to be angry. And the wrong anger comes... Um, comes, is to come off. The wrong kind of anger, of course, is the sinful kind of anger is what we need to be putting aside. It's an anger that Paul says gives opportunity to the devil. It's an anger that Paul says leads to sin. The anger is a powerful emotion, right? And on this side of heaven, we are going to deal with it. It's something that we are going to deal with. 
and it's, it's powerful. And when it's not dealt with biblically, and very important right here, quickly, it can take over our will. It can fight the influence of the Spirit in our life. It can impede our ability to hear from God in different ways. And it can become a wide open door for the enemy's influence to come into your life. It's like a gateway sin. It leads to all kinds of other sins in our life. This is why Paul says right here, don't, the new self doesn't let the sun go down on his anger. This is a poetic way to say prolonged, unchecked, fleshly anger is always sinful and it's dangerous in the life of a believer and it doesn't belong. It's okay to be angry about certain things. But we're not angry about those things in a way that's sinful. He's not saying don't be angry. right? The Bible actually says it's It's good and it's normal for a Christian to be angry about certain things. Well, what are we angry about? We're angry about the things that anger God. Right? Be angry about sin. Be angry about injustice. Jesus' anger caused him to flip tables over in a temple because they were because he 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 was angry about how they were exploiting exploiting poor, poor people and how they were polluting the house of God. And those kind of same things should fill us with with holy fury, with righteous indignation. But it's a redeemed anger. We don't carry it around with a vengeful heart. With vengeance in our flesh. The Bible says, God says, vengeance is mine. We experience that anger. It should fire us up. But then we move on in our life doing what God's called us to do. And that's to not pour out His, His judgment on the world. But to to move about this world as people who love God and love other people and actually bring gospel solutions in love to the brokenness in this world that fill us with that righteous indignation. Redeemed anger actually leads to more faithfulness. It leads to more worship. It shouldn't lead to more prolonged fleshly anger that's going to lead to more sin and bitterness and resentfulness. So we take off sinful anger, we put on righteous anger. Number three. We take off stealing and put on honest work and generosity. It says in verse 28, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. All right, so the old self was bent towards laziness. The old self is a taker, not a giver. The old self is about a me before you attitude, not a you before me attitude. The old self looked for dishonest gain. You know what that means? It means that our old self, you're like, wow, now I'm a thief. It says I'm a thief. I wouldn't out robbing banks. I wouldn't do anything like that. Well, although you weren't doing that, well, Bible, the Bible says that as someone who was looking for dishonest gain, that, hey, you had the heart of a thief. You didn't mind cutting corners at work to get ahead. But Paul says that that's no longer what ought to mark the life of a believer. We put off those things, and as new creatures in Christ Jesus, we embrace a biblical view of work. We now find joy in putting in an honest day's work. Jesus put in an honest day's work as a carpenter most of his life. As believers, we take on responsibilities in our new self. We take responsibilities for ourselves, for our families. We work hard. We do things the right way. So Paul says, we do all those things um, so that, Paul says, we might have something to share with everyone. Think about that. The Bible presents this beautiful theology of work. And it turns the the old self of thinking on its head. And it says, hey, you used to work to get ahead. Work used to be centered around you, but now you're in Christ, which means everything's centered around Christ and other people. So the beautiful theology of work is this, that my work is something I get fulfillment of from... 
Because it's a gift from God. We're going to be working throughout all of eternity in the new heavens and the new earth. That's what the Bible teaches us. The Bible teaches us that, that work was not a result of the fall. Laziness is a result of the fall. They were working in the garden. In God's perfect design for the world, there's work. So work is something in the new self that we get fulfillment from and joy from when we approach it in a way that's faithful and God-honoring and we do things the right way, but it's also an opportunity for us and it enables us to share and be generous to other people and to bless people with the earnings that God's blessed us with. John Wesley said it like this. He said, work hard, work as hard as you can, make as much as you can, and give as much as you can. So the third article of clothing here, let me ask you, where are you taking shortcuts maybe? Where are you being lazy in your life? Where are you not providing in the way that God's called you to provide? Maybe in your home, in a relationship. Paul's saying that's got to come off. Where do you need to step in and take responsibility? Where do you need to step into some generosity and see the, 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 the work and the job that God's given you to be able to earn a living is a blessing from Him, but it's been given to you so you can bless others. Where do you need to put on some generosity and you blessing others and on your own time, but also coming together corporately with a church like this and helping fund the mission of a church like this that is seeking to go out into the community and to bless others through gospel ministry. Number four, here we go. We take off sinful speech and put on edifying speech. The next article of clothing that Paul says in verse 29 that needs to come off, he calls it corrupting talk. The Greek word that Paul uses right there for corrupt is the same adjective that's used in the New Testament to describe rotting fish. So he's referring to words that need to come off of our life as believers that are not part of our new self, that serve no good purpose, that don't nourish, words that are toxic, that are poisonous, and that harm other people. And you may be thinking, well, Pastor, you're obviously talking about cuss words, and I don't, I don't cuss that much. I got the, I'm getting that under control, so I'm good there. Can we move on to the fifth article of clothing? I've got to get to lunch. But he's actually not talking about cuss words. You probably, probably do. If you've got a problem with that, you need to take that off too. But that's not what he's dealing with right here. In context, specifically, what he's referring to is speech that is the opposite of building people up and encouraging. Words that mock, words that insult, words that tear people down do not belong in my life as a Christian. That may be the way that it is out there. That may be something that marked my life before Christ. Hey, but that's my old life as a new creation in Christ Jesus. This is this is language that needs to be consistently being taken off in my life. Those clothes don't fit my life anymore in Christ Jesus. And this is important today because of the harm that can happen when we're not taking off corrupting speech and putting on edifying words. Barry did a great job last Sunday unpacking the previous text, text and helping us understand how the unified gospel culture uh, that God's called us to happens as the gospel works in us as individuals and we come together and there's a unity that we should be experiencing. And it's through that unity we, that we create one of those powerful pictures for a lost world to see of who Christ is. Through that unity with one another. And you know what? The enemy knows that. 
The enemy knows that that's true. The devil knows that if he can disrupt, dis, disrupt unity in the church, if he can plant some discord in a fellowship, he knows how much that will hurt the cause of Christ. And you want to know one of the main ways that disunity, you want to know one of the main ways that discord among God's people grows and infects and spreads and creates more and more destruction is through corrupt talk in the church. Through slander. Through condescending remarks about things that people don't like that's not your cup of tea that's a preference issue to people being church critics with the way that they talk and through the sinful damaging wicked activity called gossip which has tragically become this kind of like tolerated sin in the church and see this can be confusing because some of you maybe were raised in different churches And you can look back and it can be confusing because you can think about people who you looked up to who were godly in so many ways, but they were gossips. They had a sharp tongue. And that gossip was, was tolerated. And that can be confusing. It's okay and it's actually very healthy to look back and to praise God for that person or those people's influence, but to call them out for a sin that was not taken off of their life. That was a sin. And that doesn't belong in my life. And another generation needs to come along and be committed to call corrupt talk and slander and gossip and critical and cynical talk what it is. It's sin. And and it can inflict catastrophic damage on a church body. Church, we need to be committed to continuing to cultivate a Christ-exalting family of God atmosphere where it's not safe to slander. This is a church where it should not be safe to gossip. As long as I'm your pastor, this is not going to be a church where it's safe to gossip. You say, well, how do we do that? Well, you go back to putting on truth and not lies. We need some people who, in a loving way, tell people when they hear that that that's not the way that we should live our lives and to call sin for what it is. And to also take off corrupt speech in our own life. And to put on words that are edifying and that actually build people up. And did you know when you speak words that build people up, when you speak edifying words into people's life, look at what verse 29 says happens. When we say things like that to people, it says you give grace to the hearer. It's actually a lot of fun to build people up with your speech in the kingdom of God. It's actually a... You get a big kick out of edifying people with your words. It's way better than being bitter. It's way better than being a church critic. It's way better than being immature and letting all that insecurity control your tongue. It's actually a lot of fun. What a thought right there that our words can be the means for God's grace to get from God to that person. Your edifying words can actually build someone up in their faith. And God, by His grace, can do a work in their life that will be a result of your faithfulness to stop and speak edifying words into their life. Not critical words about them behind their back. So I want to challenge you. Encourage somebody with your words. If you see someone being used by God and you go, Oh man, my my head, wow, that's I, I can really see God use it. Don't just hold that to yourself. Come alongside of them and Humbly edify them with your words. Edify them to their face. Send them a message. Give them a call. Is there an area of your life where you need to take off some corrupt words? Is there another area of your life where you need to put on edifying speech and be more intentional the way you speak? We've got to move. Number five. We take off wrath and we put on love. Look at verse 31. 
Let all bitterness and wrath and anger, clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So when you read this last one right here, this fifth one, at first it feels like almost like the sun's going down in the prison cell where Paul's like writing this letter and I've got I to gotta finish this section. We've got to get to the next section tomorrow morning. So it almost feels like he's just kind of rushing this and throwing in a bunch of these disconnected things that are just a, a big wardrobe here of things that we need to put off. But when you study this, you realize that all of these are synced together, that all of these things are tied together by one theme. It's one article of clothing. These are six ways that our old self naturally responded when we were done wrong by somebody else. That's the unique thing about this last article of clothing. How do you respond when somebody sins against you? These other four pieces of instruction right here, they've been more offensive, right? It's about us getting on the offense. It's about us taking the appropriate action as new creatures in Christ. Like, this is the way that I use my words now. This is the way that I work now. This is the way I don't steal. I work hard. I don't speak corruptly about people. I build people up. I don't speak lies. I speak the truth. But this last one's different. In essence, Paul is saying, I want you to think about the way that you respond when you're the one that gets sinned against. How do you respond when people sinfully attack you? How do you respond when people speak corrupt words about you? And when people let you down, when people hurt you deeply? The old self responds to all of that. How? In the way, in the list that Paul just gave us. With bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander and malice. In other words, the old man bowed up. Somebody came against me, man, the old man popped off. The old man got even. The old man held grudges. But in Christ, that is not who I am anymore. That outfit does not fit the person I now am in Christ. And these are things that got to come off. And this, hey, this can be one of the most difficult pieces of instruction here to obey and to live out, can't it? Because you can be proactive with a lot of these other instructions. Like I wake up in the morning, and drink some coffee, say, I need to edify somebody with my words. I'm going to read a Bible verse about it. And I'm going to pray, God, you help me. And I'm even going to schedule out and put me a little reminder to call so-and-so and to edify them with my words today. But this one right here is more difficult. Because we don't usually get a heads up about the kind of moments that we're going to need to obey and have this you know, wardrobe change in our life. Like, you're probably not going to get a text tomorrow morning that's saying, hey, listen, later today, you're going to be on your way home from work. You're going to be stressed. You're going to be late. Somebody's going to cut you off in traffic. They're going to cuss you out. They're going to tell you you're number one. They're going to... uh, Some of you got that. They're they're going to offend you deeply. And so you're going to need to drink some coffee right now. You're going to need to take a deep breath. And you're going to need to pray for the Holy Spirit's help for later today when you're on 295 because you're going to need to be ready to take off some malice and some anger and to put on some patience and love. That's not going to happen. This is difficult instruction because these, this, this is talking about the moments and situations that we're not usually prepared for. This is instruction for moments, hey, then quite frankly, we get blindsided by. Sometimes we're hurt really deeply because we were never expecting that person to say that about us. And we can get wounded very, very deeply. And maybe you get blindsided. Maybe you you get feelings that have been hurt because of something that's happened in a family relationship or a marital relationship or a work relationship or a church family relationship, whatever relationship it is. In that moment, even as Christians, our flesh is going to flare up and the enemy is going to encourage us to respond the old way with that list he just gave us. But Paul says that's not who you are anymore. 
You've got to put that off. And you've got to put on kindness and tenderheartedness and forgiveness. But how do we get good at that? When we get blindsided, when we get hurt, when we get wounded, how do we get, get good at putting off all of that bitterness and malice and all those different things that are part of my old self and the way that I used to respond? And how do I get good at being kind and gentle and patient and forgiving with people? With the keys found in the last phrase of this passage. Here's how you do it. He says, just as God in Christ forgave you. The key to putting off bitterness and all those other sinful responses when people sin against me is by looking to Jesus and remembering the way that I'm treated by God in Christ Jesus. Well, how does God treat me? He's abounding in steadfast love towards me. He has an infinitely long fuse with the way that he deals with me. The Bible says he keeps no record of wrongs. The Bible says he's erased a list of your iniquities. He doesn't keep a list against you of sins you've committed against him. He's eternally committed to pouring out his kindness and his forgiveness and his mercy and his grace on you. You say, well, I don't deserve it. That's why it's called grace. We don't deserve it, but by God's grace, we got it. And now we freely give to others what's been freely given to us. We remember this, Christian. You have difficulty forgiving somebody. You have difficulty responding to people in a graceful way. You remember this. That there's nothing. And this is what I remind myself of because sometimes I got trouble getting over stuff. And I got to remind myself that there's nothing you could do to me that I haven't done a million times to Jesus. And what does he do? How does he respond to me every single time? He graciously, lovingly, faithfully forgives me. And as a recipient of that grace, we're now called to extend that same grace to people around us, even people, especially people who've hurt us deeply. These are the new clothes that we wear. What is it for you? Is that the one you need to work on? What's at least one thing in this passage you need to take off this morning? What's one thing you need to pick, put on? It may be more than one. Hey we, can, hey, we can look on the outside this morning like we're a bunch of church-going Sunday morning Christians. And we got our stuff together. But here's the reality of it for all of us, even the man talking to you right now. If the intentions, the dispositions, and the attitudes of our heart and of our life were displayed on these screens to my, my right and my left, you know what it showed for all of us? What's the reality in our lives? Is we all have our flesh in different ways that continues to war against us. Amen. And what Paul is saying is you don't belong down that road anymore. That's who you would be. That's, that's what you'd be swallowed up by if it wasn't for Jesus. But the good news is you've been made alive with Christ. you got clothes to change. And you know what? you got all the help you need within you to make the changes that you need to make today. Because it can feel very overwhelming, can't it? You, you look at a list like this. I don't think I can do this. You can't do it. This isn't a pull yourself up by the bootstraps kind of sermon this morning. You can't do it. You, only, you are only saved by the grace of God and you're only continuing to change by the grace and the power and the work of God inside of you. That's the only way transformation is possible. Here's the good news. God's given you a helper. God's given you help to transform and to change. All right, go back to that picture. I'm running a little late, but go back to that picture. All right. That would have been distracting. I'll leave that up the entire service. I think I'm in fifth grade right there. And this is the early 90s, and if some of you were paying attention uh, to my wardrobe there, you'll see that I have some shoes on that were very important shoes in my life, this time of my life. 
All right, a few years earlier, Reebok put out a shoe that a lot of young men wanted. That was a Reebok pump. Do you ever remember those Reebok pumps? Some of you do. And so this was a later model, but I wanted some Reebok pumps so bad. And, the, and there was like a pump on the tongue, and it had little airbags inside, and it would make your you know, foot feel like you could jump through the roof. And I remember getting those shoes. And as I, when I was a kid, I don't know about you, when I go in and get a new pair of shoes in a store, I'd always lace them up, and then I'd take off across the store because I thought that it'd make me run faster. And I'd, jump, and I'd jump and say, Mom, can I jump higher? And in my head, I thought... I needed these pumps because I needed them to deliver in my life some power. That I needed them to help change something in my life that I, I didn't think I could change without Reebok pumps. See, on my fifth grade playground during recess, there was a basketball. There was a set of basketball goals that was like at seven and a half feet, and there was only two kids in the fifth grade class who could dunk on that goal. And I got these Reebok pumps, and I said, "Man, Kenny and Nate, they got some company now. <laughs> There's going to be a third dunker in the school." I couldn't sleep. I, I'm serious. I couldn't sleep the night that I got those pumps. And I got up the next morning. I laced them up. I couldn't wait to get to school, Lone Star Elementary, over in East Arlington. And at recess, I went out straight to the basketball goals. It was, was going to happen. I couldn't wait. I had the whole thing worked out in my head. And I got the basketball, and I began to dribble. It was like I was in slow motion in a movie. And I took off and left that pavement towards that goal. And I was no closer to dunking that day than I was the day before. <laughs> but as a kid, you maybe even remember how a brand new, sho- brand new pair of shoes could make you feel like magically like you had the power to help you do something that you couldn't do before. And this is kind of like when we, when we come to Christ, I think all of us, in the thrill of that moment, that's kind of the way we felt when the Holy Spirit came into our life. So it's kind of similar in that way, but very different than those shoes because those shoes were just hype. Those shoes were just excitement. That was something that was just in my head. There was nothing genuinely powerful or special that happened in my life because those Reebok pumps came into my life. But when the Holy Spirit enters into the life of a believer, He literally gives you the access to power that could help you do things that you never thought would be possible in your life. He can help free you from an addiction that you never thought you could escape. He can help you stop bad habits that you never thought you could. He can help you experience joy and peace that you never thought possible. He can help heal relationships that you thought would be forever broken. You've got a helper, the same spirit that, the same spirit that sustained Jesus and helped him resist the devil in the wilderness, the same spirit that sustained him in the garden, the same spirit that rose him up from the grave is the spirit inside of you, empowering you as you look to Jesus, remembering the work that he has done to practically live out the life that matches with positionally who you are in Christ Jesus. Empowering you this morning to take off things that don't belong and to put on the things that do. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Did you see where that was in that text? Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. You know how you grieve the Holy Spirit? By leaving on old clothes that you know don't belong. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Depend on the Holy Spirit. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you this morning. Make some clothing changes. I'm confident there's no one here in Christ. I don't think there's a person here who's not able to find at least one of these things they need to work on. 
We don't work on it by ourselves. We don't work on it trying to earn the approval of God. We work on it because we have his approval. And we're only able to work on it as he works in us. So let's ask for his help. Let's pray.